Hello and welcome to People in Profit. I'm Charles Pellegrin. Coming up. In a post-COVID era where music lovers have less disposable income and organizers face higher costs, we'll discuss what music festivals can do to survive with John Rostron, the CEO of the Association of Independent Festivals in the UK. Bringing the countryside to the heart of a Nairobi slum, how vertical farming is helping bringing cheaper and safer food to the Kenyan neighborhood of Kibera. From one challenge to the next, the UK music festival sector had to go on hold for two years because of the COVID-19 pandemic. The summer festival season postponed until sunnier days. And when these sunnier days came, well, organizers realized they were faced with a different world. One marked by inflation and where British people are living through a cost of living crisis not seen in decades. A new world where many music festivals didn't survive. According to the Association of Independent Festivals, one out of six festivals stopped running since the pandemic. Where 600 festivals took place in the UK in 2019, only 482 are scheduled for this summer. A 19.7% decline. Well, for more on this, let's turn to the CEO of this Association of Independent Festivals, which uh, brings together 105 different member events. John Rostron joins us now. Uh, John, thank you so much for being with us on, on France 24. First off, can you give us a sense of the increase in costs involved in putting a festival together? What are the things that are now so much more expensive than they were in 2019? Um, the principal areas are staging, fencing and security uh, or the people that run security they're the biggest costs as well as as well as energy costs and fuel costs that have gone up and they've risen by roughly 30 percent since 2019 um, in some areas in some particular areas there's people reporting rises of almost 70 or 80 percent but 30 percent is the sort of broad increase that we've seen and one of the ways that we've seen uh, festivals cope with this issue is is by uh, raising ticket prices. Uh, the big one that everyone mentioned was Glastonbury t tickets going up uh, 340 pounds compared to about 270 pounds back in 2019. Is this the only option that festivals uh, have, the only lever that they can pull on, or are there other ways that uh, that organizers can um, look at make up uh, at making up for these higher costs? No, the ticket price is like one part of it. So Glastonbury was a really good example. But if you think about that rise of the ticket price of Glastonbury, it's not a 30% rise. Uh, it's less than that. On average, ticket prices for festivals in the UK have gone up between 12 and 15%. So the rest of that rise um, has been mitigated by other things. So they are trying to find other ways of being more efficient Sometimes they're cutting parts of the offer, so they might cut a small stage somewhere. They might reduce the number of artists slightly. So they'll do things to sort of cut their cloth, so to speak. Um, so the festivals are do, have done stuff inside the event to re try and reduce costs, but then they've done as much as they can, and then they pass the other bit on, which is the 12 to 15% rise. Um, and that ultimately just makes everything, as you can imagine, very, very tight and very, very difficult. And your uh, association has actually put together a, a special scheme that allows first-time festival goers to, to get uh, their tickets at a, at a reduced rate of £18. Um, how has this initiative gone so far? Um, well, it's inspired by you in France. Thank you. 
Um, you know, France, Italy, Germany, Spain, you all have these vouchers that come out when you're 18 and you can spend them on culture. And it was kind of inspired by that. We thought that was a brilliant idea. But we'd also noticed that lots of young people, when COVID happened and the pandemic shut everything down, um, obviously they couldn't go to festivals. And for those young people, that would have been their first festival. So they haven't been to their first festival. So we wanted something um, to able to inspire and get those people into events. Um, so far, it's going really well. There's a lot of interest. There's basically lots of interest from young people. Um, there isn't enough money coming in at the other end to, to give all of those people tickets as yet. But we are sending tickets out to people and they're beginning to go to their first events. In fact, this weekend, is their, they'll be going to their first events. So lots of interest in it, uh, lots of good take up. And we're starting the long journey of trying to convince our government to do the same as your government and, uh, and give everybody a, a turning 18 a voucher to go to a festival. How's that lobbying going so far? You also pushed, for instance, to get the VAT uh, on festivals reduced from 20 to 5%. Uh, any positive responses from the government so far? Yeah, also inspired by you, right? Um, so, so VAT in the UK for culture is, or VAT for, is, is high, it's 20%. Um, and that's high for culture compared to lots of other countries across Europe. Um, and we want some we, we we don't understand why that is culture is really important but actually also when you're trying to trying to make these finances work a reduction in vat would instantly create the space that everybody needs to make their festivals work so we've only just begun to realize that and settle on that and begun to open up those conversations with government and i have to say at the moment it's it's certainly very positive it's very open we're not getting a hard no um they are interested in what we're doing. They're interested in festivals. They are shocked like us that we've lost so many festivals because of COVID. And they want us to be able to exist and they want to try and help rebuild the festival offer. So at the moment, it's encouraging and it's positive, but it's early days. What's been the impact of this uh, of this uh, struggle, uh, this, this, this difficult situation on, on the artists, on the, on the, on the musicians? It's, it's particularly hard. I mean, it's hard on everybody, you know, uh, you know, the supply chain, those people that deliver staging and lights and fencing, you know, losing one in six festivals has also brought some of those companies. They've, they've closed, too, as a result, because they've lost money or they've lost business. They need the sector to be vibrant. And it's the same for artists. Um Performing live, as we know, has become increasingly one of the main places that um festivals uh, the artists make their money so they need a good offer of festivals to to pay their fees and they don't want to play the same festivals every year they want to move around the country um and so it's impacted it's impacted on them if there's you know a few less places to play and less places to go to um and and obviously for smaller artists in particular those early slots playing a festival early on um, is how you develop an audience, how you find a fan base. And of course, for smaller artists who tend to not play every festival every weekend, they also really just love going to them um, and they love playing and getting a ticket and spending their weekend at the event. So so it's it's hitting some of those artists and there'll probably be a knock on further down the line if we don't redevelop. Um, you know, if you, artists don't get opportunities, they don't, they don't get to grow, do they? And we'll see difficulties further down. Looking ahead, do you see the number of festivals going back up again in the years to come? I think 
if we can get the support from government, I think these two things that we're looking for, I think the VAT, reduction in VAT will give us the financial space that we need whilst we are dealing with the supply chain struggle and the cost of living crisis that we have here in the UK. That will give us the gap financially that we need to be able to see through without, you know, we can't keep pushing prices up, um, but we, we also can't not pay our supply chain because we don't want them to go under. That's the gap we need from government. And we need some good summers so that we can rebuild our finances. The other thing that we do need is we need to make sure all those young people who never went to a festival get to go to a festival, because if you don't go to a festival and experience it, um, then you don't bring it into your life and it doesn't become a regular habit. And we need it to be, be a regular habit like it's been for generations right, uh, in the UK since those early days of Glastonbury. Um, if all those two things happen, then the demand for live music, the demand for festivals, the demand for performances is really strong. And I don't think that will go away. And um, the number of festivals in the UK was built by demand. And I imagine that demand will come back and we'll be back to somewhere that we were in pre-pandemic. Well, John Rostron is the CEO of the Association of Independent Festivals in the UK. Thank you uh, for talking to us. Thank you. Well, Kenya faces food production and security challenges in part because of high population growth, land use and a changing climate. Some solutions exist, though. In the capital, Nairobi, residents of its congested Kibera slum have turned to vertical farming and are growing their own crops with help from NGOs. Peter O'Brien has this. Nairobi's Kibera, one of the largest slums in Africa, lacks clean water and soil conditions that make growing vegetables almost impossible. And yet, at this urban farm, a bountiful harvest begins to sprout from these yogurt pots and old drainage pipes. We have got around 1,200 students, of whom we are feeding using the greens in Tashamba and the surplus we give to the community. Instead of soil, the farmers are using crushed pumice, a volcanic rock, to help remove impurities and are using a vertical system to maximise space. What we have right here would have done it in perhaps about half an acre, but now we are doing it in an area that's 8 metres by 15 metres. Them being able to trace where their food is coming from, we believe it's very important for the communities as well. The farm provides food security to Kibera's residents. Crops grown here will likely be free of contaminants and cheaper due to reduced transportation costs. But setting up and running such a facility isn't cheap. It's funded by the World Food Programme and the Human Needs Project, an international NGO that helps build sustainable infrastructure in impoverished neighbourhoods and has supplied the farm with clean water. The integrated food security phase classification reports that almost five and a half million Kenyans will experience acute food insecurity this year, with almost one million children suffering malnutrition as East Africa faces its worst drought in decades. Well, that's it for this edition of People and Profit. If you have any questions or comments, you can always reach out to us on our various social media channels. And if you'd like to see our previous shows, you can visit France24.com or listen on the podcast platform of your choice. In the meantime, thank you for watching and stay tuned. Join us on Down to Earth. 
where we explore the incredibly complex relationship between humans and our planet. We meet the people behind fascinating environmental, health and technological innovations in a bid for sustainable solutions to our changing world. Down to Earth on France 24 and France24.com